And now, Hollywood Prospectus. Welcome to the Hollywood Perspectives Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm a writer for Grantland.com and joining me in the studio, listening to the Ooh. Pixies with a figment of his distressed imagination, it's Andy Greenwald! Whoa, feels good to be here. What's am up, I, man? Am I here? Who knows? Have you ever been here? I've never been here before. Would you think somebody would mention to me if I was having a podcast with like no one for two or three years? It's weird that I've been doing a podcast <laughs> with my dad for four years. <laughs> You look great, I'm by the way. I'm disappointed in you. I know, but we're working through it. Uh, Andy, this is a special episode of High Perspectives. We're going to be talking with a couple of our colleagues from Grantland mm-hmm. about the show of the summer, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Robot. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm on vacation right now, and I'm so excited to talk about this show. What are you doing Shut on up. vacation? Are you maybe trying to save the world? I'm not trying to save the world. I'm trying to bring down a gigantic corporation and liquidate all uh, student loans. But that's just what I do in my spare time. In my day job, I watch television. Um... What do you think about this idea that um, – let me pitch this to you. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I, you know, we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks yeah. about um, wh- like whether or not like this is the best show on television and, and, and sort of where it came from in terms of be initially being a movie idea for yes. the creator Sam Esmail and everything. But watching last night's episode, which was episode nine, mm-hmm. and 10. just the last few in general um, – I couldn't help but think that this is not that much – this couldn't have been that much of a surprise to the creative people behind the show because it feels like such a confident show that almost knew that at week eight, week nine – it knew what it had. And it's like shot and presented – The success of the show and the cultural penetration of the show – is not a surprise, but even even aside from that, like the like the value of it, like the the, the aesthetic like yes. impact of it, they're like well, we're making something very good. Well, here's what you know going in: the show was renewed by USA before the episode before the pilot premiered. Okay, so they knew what they had, yeah. and they were really excited about it. I do think that, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to Sam Esmail about it. But the show is done with such complete confidence, which is one of the reasons we like it. And he had to realize that looking at the media landscape, and not in the way that Elliot Alderson does, but in the way that we do, <laughs> in the way that people watch TV, if you front load this many questions... So wait, you don't off... watch TV on morphine with a bunch of microchips in a microwave? Oh, morphine, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and a small circuit fire raging at all times just to keep my extremities warm. Drug use. Father of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, he probably knew that if you front load these kind of mysteries and questions, but then you have the guts or the skill and the talent and the good actors to pull it off, you're going to be talked about. Yeah. Um, it, it's always fascinating, though, because, you know, I had Rami Malik on the show a couple weeks ago. He was done shooting, so he knew what was coming. But it must have been wild to be doing that, as you said, in a vacuum. Yeah, not sure. Not quite knowing. Um, what's really struck me is not just the degree of difficulty that's been going on and, and still, you know, I'm all in. Obviously, we're all in for season two, but a lot is riding on the season finale in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I'm really struck by how the season is really a story of two shows, because starting with the revelations last week, it's been a completely different show, right? I mean, the last night's episode, we're recording this on Thursday after episode nine aired, tonally, emotionally, was very disconcerting and very different than yeah. the show that we've come to come to really like. Well, it also just casts all his behavior in a different light. I mean, I think even if you had a feeling that this was coming, uh, and obviously we're going to be pretty naked with the spoilers here, but if you had a feeling yeah. that, like, that Elliot's, that Mr. Robot was a figment of Elliot's imagination, yes. whether it was a Tyler Durden-esque projection or 
as we came to find out, his, yes. his father, uh, that, that, that somehow going back and just seeing, you know, even trying to just piece it together, like Angela's sort of horror at what he had become and perhaps him being manipulated a little bit by Darlene, which I think Angela sort of alluded to at least. Or vice versa. Or vice versa, where it's like, well, why is she back in town? Did he bring her back in town? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and what did Christian Slater teach them, like, on his knee, other than right. seeing inappropriate movies right. at a young age? We still have a lot of gaps we have to fill in, um, which I think gives the show a lot more yarn to play with to make something out of. But yeah. I did want to ask you about, you know, concern troll like this a little bit, if just for I, the sake of conversation. Yeah. Um, the show that this really reminds me of the most uh, in the last most recent show is, is Breaking Bad, in the sense that these the yeah. episodes seem structured um, very – Traditionally, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. like these A plot, A plot, B plot. There's like a sort of central mystery to each episode. But the last 10 minutes of these episodes are so nerve wracking yeah. and white knuckle. Like yeah. just you feel like, like you're losing it. And that that was really the key to um, Breaking Bad's like late period renaissance where mm-hmm. people would go back and watch it on Netflix and keep hitting these 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 runs of episodes where yes. they're like, well, I just spent you, five hours. You watching. have to keep going. Exactly. You have to keep going. Is there a danger? Now, one of the things that I think Breaking Bad did very well, whether it was intentional or not, was, like, build up to that, right? Mm-hmm. There was a sort of dark comedy in the beginning. There's some murky stuff that happens. There's They had, like, some uneven uh, amount of episodes for those seasons because yeah. of various the, reasons. The writer's strike. Yeah. Um, but then by the end, it became, like, a full-fledged psychological thriller, you know? Yeah. What do you think about Mr. Robot going so all-in so early? It's amazing. And it's not just that it's going all in so early and so uh, it's just so quickly. It's the fact that it's doing something pretty radical. I totally agree with you that it's similar to Breaking Bad in, in its aesthetic, in, its, um, in how addictive it is, and in the fact that it is the most visually confident show since Breaking Bad in, yeah. in the sense that it automatically already has its own visual language, color scheme, the way it shoots New York City, the way it shoots its characters, the doubling that, that yeah. Ismail often does with the frame. But the thing about Breaking Bad is that for as revolutionary as it was in the sense that it was just a elevator going straight down, we were in the elevator with one character throughout, mm-hmm. and we trusted him. Yeah, his now, perspective was the perspective. He, you know, he revealed himself to be not really the best guy, and that was right. intentional on, on part of Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad. But this – Mr. Robot breaks every rule of narrative television storytelling. Right. It does. I mean you're, you – And you're right on the edge of being like – because, you know, like after last night's episode, mm-hmm. I was like, is Tyrell real? You yes. know, I mean, I'm not I, – I assume he is. I think I think that he is. But is he – what is he, you know? And and it's and it's like, well, that you can't – you have to be very careful because you could get to a place where mm-hmm. you just have audience members being like, well, I don't know. Is Angela his sister? Is Angela his – If, if you know? nothing is tangible, then you start to lose people because they slip away. You mm-hmm. need to be able to hold on to something. And this is the, the bedrock rule of television. You have to have some sort of emotional foundation to grip onto. Yeah, and currently we have – Angela was this person, but as she has grown farther apart yes. from that F society part, yes. and I even think in the back of my mind a little bit weirdly like that she could be set up as sort of a villain yeah. in the future because there's something very poignant and goodbye about that hug. First you know? of all, I'm Team Terry Colby. I don't know who that actor is. I gotta <laughs> look him Altman. up. It's the summer of Altman. He's in Show Me a Hero too. Oh, that's who that guy yeah. is. Yeah, he's the guy who sits next to Catherine Keener in Show you're... Me a Hero and says the chicken's dry. You're right. <laughs> yeah. God, you really that chicken really was dry he's though. He's killing it. Yeah, he is a terrific presence. <laughs> like he, you know, okay, maybe he needs to take some sensitivity training with HR. He needs to do a couple rounds. When he of was that, in her but... living room last or in her kitchen yeah. last night, I was like, oh no, what, what is he going to tell her? What now? if he had been sitting there eating some like a dry chicken bone yeah like I, I would have loved a, it great crossover anyway um this is also what i meant though when i said that it shifted so dramatically from the show we were watching to the show we are watching because 
I think, and this is also fascinating, and it's a testament to how quickly we consume things and how quickly we tire of things. The hacker drama that we thought we were watching with that gang breaking into Stone Mountain. Yeah. Like, I would have watched that show. I did watch that show. Yeah. We talked about it. I would watch another season of that show. Um, instead, what it, what's taking its place is a very tender, very upsetting on some level family drama. Yeah. Where Darlene is suddenly there as, you know, the, the, the Carly Chaikin has been really good, let me just say. I think she's really good in the show. And uh, her face throughout this episode as she sees this person who she loves, who is apparently her brother. Yeah. Lose, just be lost, be completely lost to her is really, um, it's moving. And that is a very different type of show. So anyway, to bring it full circle to what we were saying, though, the risk is, you know, when we, when we talked about Lost and we were all obsessed with Lost and we were, um, the thing that that show did that almost no other show did was that it had all the mysteries and it had us all talking, but it, you know, it grounded it in the love story of, you know, star-crossed Koreans. Sure. It wasn't just polar bears. Um, it wasn't. This show is just flying on its own supply yes. right now. Yeah. And with everything is a mystery. It reorients the map every single yes, episode. Yes, and yeah. everything is constantly a question. Well, you have to assume that the next episode is going to definitely do that. Uh, and, I think and, it's... and I do want to say, too, you mentioned this at the beginning. For people who don't know this, we should say it. We talk, When we first started talking about Mr. Robot, we talked about how one of the things that was amazing about it was that Sam Esmail wrote this as a screenplay mm-hmm. for a feature film, beginning, middle, end. And he apparently was like, no, I'm just going to stick to my plan. I didn't realize that he says that this season was just the first act of the movie. Obviously, then, there was added stuff. Yeah. I would imagine the Shayla stuff wasn't in it necessarily. Terry Colby. <laughs> Terry Colby was actually the star of Act 2. What if he's the star of the show? Anything, I can't wait. But that's possible, which is also kind of cool. <laughs> it's just like him having scotch in his, in his den. What is the disc in Elliot's collection? Which mix CD is the Terry Colby file where it's just pictures of him? Just I think like it's e- Lou Reed metal machine music. Just yeah. him eating chicken and Yonkers, like giving Catherine Keener noogies. Um it, anything is possible, but we are we're we're, we're flying now, and it, it it is that is a testament to the style and the confidence that we're all totally wrapped because this sort of high wire act can't sustain us without the emotional element. Yeah, well, can. we have a couple of guests that we're going to bring through now to talk about different elements of the show. One thing I do want to throw out here, oh, yeah. and we're going to talk about the show, of course, after the finale. But I have it on good authority that the finale has a uh, it's worth sticking through the credits. Okay. I don't know any other details. Do all the Avengers eat a, eat, eat something it's, together? It's, it's shawarma. <laughs> yeah, great. Sorry, okay. it's, it is shawarma. F Society is eating shawarma <laughs> and detoxing. So there's a lot of shawarma eating and vomiting. <laughs> I can't. That sounds fantastic. It sounds really good. But so apparently, watch the sh- set your DVRs, watch through the credits. So Dan Fearman's going to come in and talk to us a little bit about some of the hacking culture stuff and yes. some of the theories that are surrounding the show and just about how the show is kind of capturing a moment right now. Uh, David Jacoby is going to talk to us a little bit about what he hopes for for mm-hmm. season two. We mm-hmm. think he took this assignment seriously. And Dan Dave Schilling is going to come talk to us about some of the Fight Club 90s overtones of the show. It's all robot all the time. All right, let's bring in Dan. Dan, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. Uh, Dan, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, how Mr. Robot seems to have come out at the perfect time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of fascinating. I, I mean, we, were, we talk about this a little bit in the office, but you know, Hollywood obviously takes a long time to process yeah. these moments in our culture. And I think, you know, in a weird way, you could see if you're Sam Esmaili that like this is something that might have come from WikiLeaks or from Snowden and stuff like that. But the fact that this show is happening right as this Ashley Madison hack yeah. happened yeah. two days ago is incredible to me. You know, and and you know, this idea that you know hacker culture, especially, is in pop culture, at least in my experience, been a joke more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, you know, we like. 
think of you know uh, Sandra Bullock, you know, yeah. tapping or, away at the screen. Or the movie Hackers, which was mocked on Mr. Robot <laughs> yeah, when they yeah. were watching it from the hotel room. But this this show seems to have really gotten some verisimilitude about it, and it's got some like timeliness about it that I don't think has ever happened. And I was sort of curious what you guys think about that, like um, whether you feel like. There's ever been another example of a show that has like nailed this particular subculture this way. I pop the wheelie on the zeitgeist like yeah. this. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, I think you could make a case that the first season of Homeland was well timed, and yeah. people were yeah. pretty, um, you know, in both the style of story it was and the place in the world. But that was also something where we were, you know, ten years into the war on terror, and right. people were ready for that type. And if of anything, story. it's weird that like it feels like the moment sort of raced past Homeland. That's right. You know, right. Homeland seems now like a very antiquated show in terms of the way that a lot of people feel about the war on terror. And also now it's basically just sort of shrugging and That's becoming a pretty decent, I would imagine. Sure. Um, basically, anthology series about different global espionage year by year. It's not sticking. It's not. It's not continuing to surf the zeitgeist in that way. Yeah. And it's not. And I think it's worth noting. It's not just the timeliness in terms of the news, but the show is presenting a very nuanced and interesting argument about the morality of this sort of stuff. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting because Elliot considers himself to be a hero. He's as we saw on Gloria Rubin's face when he told her he knew very well what kind of porn she was into. He's kind of a monster. He is the bad guy, yeah. and he's the hero of the same show, often in the same scene. And I feel like that echoes in, a, in, in what's going on in a much more nuanced way than you know than a bunch of tweets being like, "Before you click on that, let me just tell you that you are a scumbag." You know, I think that the show is really. It's it's showing us rather than telling us. Dan, what do you think? I think that one of the things that it does, and Andy just alluded to this, is that not only is not only are we in a moment where like hacking is such like, a huge issue in the news, but I think that our attitude collectively, if I can like make a very consensus statement here, towards hackers is ever shifting. And I think that Elliot's at once being this messianic figure, both in his own mind, but actually like in his idea that he's going to save the world and, mm-hmm. and and debt or whatever. But also being this very destructive presence captures that sort of binary that we, you know, there's sometimes it's like this cool like yeah mm-hmm. like save the world hackers, and sometimes it's oh my God, dude, like that's, those are my credit card transactions. You know, like that's, it's very scary. Well, right. I mean, like this Ashley Madison thing, which is a story I haven't been following super closely, but I've been following closely enough to know that basically it sounds like these hackers got in and were like, we want money or you just shut down your site, which mm-hmm. they're neither going to do. And then they did literally dumped 30 million names to the point at which there are searchable databases out there where you can like look, for, I mean, now, you know, leaving aside the morality of Ashley yeah, sure. Madison, like that's... That flexible morality is something mm-hmm. that I think the show ca- captures really well about that sort of like 4chan universe that that exists out there. You know, the, the sort of the dark net, and these things that we read about all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and Chris and I talked about this briefly the other week, but I think the way it represents business culture too. Right. Um, yeah. the, the, there's casual sexism, um, casual homophobia, um, just – the way the, – the banality of Literally it. doing anything to get to the top. That's right. Well, on both sides of it. Yeah. The, the way that the Terry Colby was like, they served shrimp cocktail and it was raining the day I ruined your life. Because yeah. that's what happens on Tuesdays sometimes. Um, similarly, the fact that um, – yeah, that the, the, the Tyrell and his wife will do anything. And what's – unless we're missing something, and I imagine there are other shoes that are going to drop – He's doing all this to become the CTO of a company? That's not even CEO. Like, that's not even that cool. <laughs> that's part of the thing that I have to wonder whether there's the bigger plan there for Esbio. Yes. Like, I mean, him right. being, like, really jacked to run, like, corp security. Well, for... well, I guess, though, if you have access to the student loan debt of a billion people, then you are pretty powerful. Do you guys have any anxieties that this sort of um, shell game that Ismail is playing that really drove the conversation mm-hmm. around this show? I mean, like – 
I, I was certainly was what drew me in, and it, mm-hmm. in addition, obviously, the beautiful style and the yeah. attention. Like, the period detail is incredible. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're all roughly the same age in this room, and, like, those the computers. The stuff is incredible, yeah. The Mr. Robot stuff in the first scene was just amazing last night. But I wonder, you know, the pace changed so much last night yes, in terms of, like, slowed, down. slowed way down. This became, as you guys were just talking about, more interpersonal. Like, do you guys worry a little bit that, that we, you know, we may be pumping the brakes a little bit too fast on, on the thing that was driving, that was sort of accelerating the show? I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm going to contradict myself right now from what I said before and say that steering into an emotional lane and becoming a more emotionally grounded show about a screwed up family probably helps its longevity. I don't know if it helps its place in the zeitgeist in terms of people mm-hmm. obsessing over it, but I think it helps as long as Esmail keeps his eye on that ball, that that's the story he's telling and everything else is extra. Yeah, I think I'm personally... I don't know if I like that show as much. Right. But I think he's it's been probably... very talented at like at running two tracks <clears throat> in every episode. So that like the Steel Mountain heist episode, it has like mm-hmm. all this impenetrable stuff about raspberry pies and honeycombs and all this other stuff. But then you have <laughs> – Neither of those are accurate. But then you have to, actually, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, that incredible moment where they basically hack that person in real time. Yeah. Yes. And Elliot figures out – you know, like well, you're – you know, like they text and they're saying like it's, it's what we – it's the worst thing we could have imagined. Right. I, I was going to say one of the things that might be s- sneakily the most unsettling thing about the show is that who is happy on the show? And we don't see those people. I would imagine the people who are happy are the people going to the, the Marvel movies and drinking the Frappuccinos and people who are like, well, here's my information because I want to buy something. Well, Shana seemed happy, I guess. They, who's or, that? Shana seemed mildly happy. The guys who they seem happy about it. They're fine with it until suddenly they're not. Yeah. But the people who engage them into this world, like who do the things – when we click on the, the iTunes agreement or whatever and we don't read it, um, you know, we're basically saying it's worth it to me not to know. Right, and yeah. that can only last for so long. But we're dealing with characters who, whether they're they're Tyrell or they're Elliot, they are not okay with that transaction, and then terrible things seem to happen. And, and I guess the other thing to think about when we talk about where the show's going, and obviously David Jacoby's going to come in here, and I'm sure basically tell us exactly what the second He's season is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, but there, there, there's like depth here that it's only been hinted at. Like White Rose was obviously like one of the coolest oh, characters really on cool. television. Yeah, and you know, like I spent maybe more time than I should have <laughs> uh, on Reddit going yes. deep on that. And there are like theories that White Rose is one of the people who is part of the company that got kicked out when, when the industrial accident happened. Right. And there, there are ways that people – this momentum that I guess I'm a little concerned about after last night could very easily continue so and go further down Let me road. ask you this. Do you feel like it's almost like in post-loss, post-Breaking Bad, post-even the first season of True Detective that is that a – is this a fair expectation that we put on shows to kind of – have the structure to support things like a Reddit board about like theories about it. Do you think, I mean, like, cause it's, it gets into like creative intent versus audience expectation. Right. right? Yeah. Right. I mean, because of course, you know, look, I mean, that's what the Doc Jensen stuff was about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he, when I, he wrote I, about Lost Three, yeah, when so he wrote well and so long, exactly, and and what he, what he was really doing was creating the text himself. It had absolutely nothing yeah. to do really with what was on the screen. This might the thing that we'll see, and we, I think we'll probably probably be able to say this with more authority after next week. But I do I think did that, that with this my is my Wings blog back in the late nineties. <laughs> did you really? create the text? The yeah. fan fiction it's, was revolutionary. That's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we'll be able to say what I believe to be the case, which is this – Mr. Robot is significant in that it seems to be the first show that is completely aware of and engaged in its moment and its context. Yes. Uh, we can talk about this with Dave when we talk about the 90s stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, adding – playing Where Is My Mind at the end of the episode yeah. where the Fight Club stuff is revealed, he knows what he's playing with. Yes. He's right. very well aware of what he's playing with. He, he, w- though he never made television before, I think he, he knows – 
where to put Easter eggs to engage people. I mean, weeks ago I mentioned there's the planetary video game. I mean, there, everything is intentional, yeah. which is the sign of good art in general, but particularly smart art, I think, in the 21st century television landscape. Yeah, I think my time's almost up, so I just want to leave you guys with two things that yeah. I want you to think about. One, Chekhov's popcorn gun. Yeah. And who do we think is going to get the end, the, the business end of that? I yes. think is like the big question for next episode. And if I were Terrell, I'd be a little nervous myself. Who has been eating the popcorn? Because I think Christian only, Slater doesn't exist. Only Elliot Trenton. has been eating the popcorn. Trent's just Trent's just back there, like just, having bags of popcorn, just munching. Yeah. Okay. All right. So who's getting got? All right. And, and the other thing is, where's Flipper the dog? Like she, do, she took him out last night at the end of the episode. Darlene, Darlene takes Flipper out for a walk. Okay, thank you. I missed that. Yeah. I was a little worried. You know, I'm a dog <laughs> owner. I was concerned. No, there, but Flipper, I guess, passed the microchip. Like, were we talking about – did that happen? I guess but Didn't so. Flipper go to the, the vet? We, there, there are a lot of questions. Oh, man, we're going down the yeah. black hole here. But, okay, so who do you think who do you think is going to get get shot? Uh, I don't think anybody of significance. I think, like, Romero. You know what I mean? Like, if, like, somebody gets, like, in the way of something, you know what I mean? Like, All right. Well, who do you think, Dan? Terrell. Oh, that'd be a hell of an ending for a first season. And Tyrell, we can talk about this later too, but th- that whole character, he's one of the strangest characters on television yeah. in a long oh, yeah. time. His role to the, his connection to everything was so sort of sideways. And then, he also actually says things that I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't know what he was talking about with the God thing. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks ago when he went, but right before his, his wife went into natural birth. Very natural. Home birth. <laughs> yeah. uh, She's a warm character. She She's is great. lovable. Yeah. The thing. They great. both are. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, before we move on, let's take a break in today's podcast to talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. It's basically like Kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek also has technology called DealScore that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth. Good deals are represented as big green dots on the map, and bad deals are shown as small red dots. So it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. For a limited time only, use promo code HOLLYWOOD in the SeatGeek app or website and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, to redeem your promo code and save $20, use HOLLYWOOD, like the name of our podcast, to save on your first SeatGeek purchase today. Now we're joined by Greatland's Dave Schilling. What's up, guys? How you doing, man? This is a dream of mine. To, to talk about uh, television with me and Andy? Just with you two, yes. That's really this nice is, of you. This is a real pleasure Thanks. and i'm glad to be here thanks dude You're You're uh well we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the 90s um yeah and a decade you and i know well a decade you and i know well yeah andy uh so obviously from early on in this show around the office around the internet around water coolers everywhere mm-hmm. people have been sort of been like what if this is gonna be like fight club and it was and not only was it but they doubled down on the fight club by playing where is my mind which is the famous last song towards the end of fight club mm-hmm. uh they played it when uh elliot introduces tyrell to the game shop or the arcade that he works out of mm-hmm. uh dave that was you you hit me up and you were just like wow they really they turned into the skid here they just decided that they were going to make what do you think it is do you think that that winking acknowledgement sort of absolves them of a lack of originality, if that's what you want to call it? Or what, what did you think of that I was reference? grappling with it the entire night last night because I knew it was coming. Uh, just like, you know, Elliot said, you knew this was coming. But at the same time, I was just begging the gods to not have it happen. Because mm-hmm. I wanted the show... The whole plot point or the just the, the, the sort of feel of it? The whole plot point. Okay. You, yeah, want, you yeah. wanted him to really be his father or to really be a physical person who was there. Yeah, or just anything that wasn't 
that particular plot point because we've seen it before and mm-hmm. fight club is such a touchstone in mm-hmm. so many people's lives that to go in that direction felt like a cop out and there's no coming back from it yes in exactly. a lot of ways yes. i was kind of thinking last night since they made such a point about him and his dad going to the movies mm-hmm. i was wondering if it was almost like a construction in elliot's mind because of movies that he would go see with his dad in the 90s yeah i mean what if he like actually saw pump up the volume or yeah, puffs or another really, early I mean, christian really slater film think about, yeah. but and like, like that's who he cast you know, this as is his the father. idea though that like maybe this guy is really literally just a figment of his imagination but the projection of it and the idea of interacting with him and this entire narrative is <laughs> basically based on the fact that he saw fight club when he was a kid and we're also not even dealing with the fact that among the other things we learned last night is that Elliot really likes to throw himself out of windows. Yes, it seems like he has... <laughs> Which is just a weird hobby, in addition to putting microchips in microwaves. Yeah. He knows what's going to happen at the end of that fall, so why does he keep doing it? Uh, I think that there's a, a whole like vein of nostalgia that, that pushes this narrative. And I don't know if I noticed it because I was 10 in 1994, mm-hmm. and a lot of those things are things that... I got after the fact. Sure. Like, I didn't see Pulp Fiction until I was in college in, like, 2002. When did you see Stargate? Stargate I saw in 94, dog, in theaters. I mean, come on. That's I, right. had, I had the little uh, James Spader action figure and everything. You've been a Spader head from way back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that boy. Uh, it just seems like there's so many things where Elliot, his touchstones are Back to the Future 2 or Fight Club or... Uh, Pulp Fiction, or th- mm-hmm. that's how he remembers. That's where his music taste tends to go a little. Well, I guess it's a pretty just generic, like hipster music taste. Isn't it's it? not even hipster. It really looks like everyone's college roommate's yeah. CD wallet. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he had a college roommate. Just like no, but he definitely one of those is definitely Bob Marley Legend. It's yeah, right. Just like it's, it's REM, definitely like for the people. Liberal Arts One Hundred One. Yeah, uh, it's interesting idea, and 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 it's also interesting to think that we don't know. I mean, one okay, let's let's rewind. One of the things that struck me when the show started was. Oh, Christian Slater has a very small supporting part on this show. And for as much as we started this podcast talking about how Sam Esmail was very confident about what he was doing, this was a show on USA about hackers done in a completely unique way. It definitely was not high profile. It definitely could have failed yeah. early on. Um, in my columns, I've made some hay about Christian Slater's poor luck in terms of picking projects or getting them off the ground on TV. So it was plausible to think, well, had he fallen this low or did he know more than we did? Clearly, he knew this was a cool thing to be a part of. So kudos to him. But it's also possible that he hedged his bets by doing a one-year contract. Did he? I don't know that. But I'm saying, what if he did? So maybe this... That manifestation of Elliot's father is a one season. Elliot's gig. gonna be very disappointed if Christian Slater isn't back at the show since he said, "I will never leave you alone again." <laughs> I agree, and I would say so would Rami Malek because when I talked to him, he could not stop talking about how much he loved working with Christian Slater yeah. on all these scenes. Um, this is pure speculation, but it's possible that by revealing him to be a you know fantasy, that they could swap it other fantasies. There could be other manifestations of Elliot's subconscious played by different a- actors from the early Samantha 90s. Mathis? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let me just say that Samantha Mathis is definitely available for guest spots on TV shows, hopefully on podcasts. I was hoping for John Leguizamo. <laughs> yes. But that's because I loved Spawn when that came out. Oh, yeah, that's right, and that's... Elliot definitely saw that with his dad. Uh, his dad yeah. wasn't dead at that point. That I dude loves Spawn. That that Michael Michael Jai Jay Michael White. White. Yeah. yeah, Dave, I want to tease this Fight Club that thing out a little. Please bit do more yeah. because when we were talking last night in email, one of the things that jumped up is it's not just the um, the doubling or the you know the the fake person the fake doppelganger mm-hmm. um, that's happening on the show, but there is a really heavy bent of like anti corporate '90s no sellout screw the system stuff that it shares with with fight club too and it shares with the it's very much of 
that time in the 90s where companies, corporations, brands were viewed as the enemy, at least as for, for youth, for part of youth culture. And, and any time they attempted to co-opt anything, it would just be open mockery. Like, and I think I, 94 was the year that Coke released OK Soda. I was just yeah. going to say that, yeah. cans, yeah. and it was just like, what, what or fr- even Fruitopia was a little before that. But Yeah, and it was like right at the beginning of the co-option of kind of the alternative alternative culture in general then, which, and, and, and over the next, like, sort of the second half of the 90s and into the 2000s, you see that stuff. It's like something cool happens, it gets co-opted by the mainstream and sold back to people. And now, we've kind of reached what you would have to imagine is some Illuminati's like grand design, which is that people are perfectly happy to live in complete harmony with brands and to tweet at brands and to like and to like, refer to themselves at, as brands. Look at yeah. this brand that I'm integrating into my personal life and as much as possible, even if there's nothing in it for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in some cases there are things in it for me. And I was wondering if you thought maybe one of the other reasons why Mr. Robot has kind of captured some people's imaginations is because it's articulating something that hasn't been around for a while, which is like a serious cynicism and revulsion for the way we live well in a way it's a gen x story being told about a millennial character because i I think Mm -hmm. just based on the the elliot from the the flashback that we are roughly the same age he's supposed to be like around his late 20s early 30s and you also hate hugging i definitely (laughs) we didn't shake hands when i met you throwing yourself out the window i'm sorry i'm gonna have to keep going uh so it's interesting that we get that vibe that you're talking about while also being so of the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel like a period show. It doesn't feel like it's not uh, modern and vital. But it also is not something that we've had since Fight Club. Yeah. And I think that's part of uh, – not the whole reason, but part of why people keep bringing it up is because, oh, this feels like a thing that – doesn't get made anymore. I also think it's worth noting, and, and, and Dan spoke about this briefly or alluded to it, The one of the reasons why hacker culture or hacker stories have failed, I think, is because we've really moved into a time when we glorify and obsess over and revere technology and gadgets, you know? And so when tech is in a movie, like... Mission Impossible Rogue Nation recently, it's like, look at this shiny Windows phone, and I can stop a Russian plane with it. It always works. It always yeah, works. Always exactly. It's beautiful and Whereas shiny. Elliot you uses touch the these screen. pieces of technology like weapons, and, and he's like, these are disgusting. And he destroys them. He rips out yeah. circuit boards, and he tries again. You know, and there was something um, very for us, for for me, for me and Chris, it was probably very nostalgic to see like the chunky Super Nintendos and the Pentium posters in the, in the computer this, store. There was a Sega Genesis yes. knockoff in there. Yes, but but the way he uses it, like, sure, he stole his boss smartphone to, to use the pass key or whatever but that doesn't even matter that's just the that's just the hammer he had in yeah, his hand Gideon in the honeycomb I'm like okay man it, it's, it's a honeypot stay for, stay for <laughs> I, I'm honeypot. so into you describing all tech things as cereals <laughs> you know what remember I mean? when he got the lucky charm like, oh and... my god with Tyrell put the blueberries <laughs> next to his wife's fork in the kitchen I'm I, on that new that new social media golden grams <laughs> uh, I want to say real quick that I'm glad you brought up how gross the technology is mm-hmm. in his apartment because when he's ripping that stuff out of his CPU. It's yeah. almost like a Cronenberg body horror thing. Yeah, where it's yeah. like he's ripping intestines out of a body and then he puts it in the microwave and it melts. And there's always more. That's the other thing. He does, we never see him going to Best Buy to be like, hmm. <laughs> no, it just magically appears. He like, just always has more stuff because it doesn't really matter. How does he run errands when it's, he's an insane person? I think morphine probably helps. Yeah, you know, seriously. I don't think off. he's eating a lot of, uh, a lot no. of breakfast in bed. Like and Gideon. he's walking the dogs. And you know, you guys are LA guys, so you don't realize the stuff they're selling in bodegas these days in Chinatown. <laughs> like, you can get HDMI cables just about anywhere. Sounds like a dream. It really is a great place to live. Um, Dave, we were talking, I'm just curious because so talking in a larger sense, we, you know, with Dan, we were just discussing whether or not 
we felt like the pace and the tone of the show is sustainable. Uh, what, what do you think? And, and do you think that they're going to have to leave behind some of the tropes that they borrowed just to set the thing up? Like, are we going to get a Reservoir Dogs like homage next season? Or is this going to kind of start to go off on its own? I was hoping for my best friend's wedding. Yeah, so yeah, sure. Mm. sure. <laughs> I mean, they have the characters, and they could. Angela could be Cameron Diaz, and darling, bursting into song is plausible. It could I just guess. be my sister's wedding. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah. Or, or my sister. You know, parentheses question mark. Yeah. wedding. I think it has to slow down, as I believe you said that it has to take a breath so that it can build back up. It can't like Empire is that show where it's just every episode is mm-hmm. insane. There's no breaks on Empire, mm-hmm. but there has to be a break on a show where it's twisting your mind and changing the uh, character dynamics and the plot every single act break. And it actually does make me... At first, when I heard that Esmail was just going with his feature storyline, it made me worried because you don't want to be stuck to something too rigidly. Or you you don't even want to consider it ending soon. That's right. But if this really was just act one, and I guess this revelation and twist was leading into act two, it actually makes me feel okay on two levels. One, because there's story enough left for two more seasons. And I think in an interview, he said he could probably do five or could imagine five but um it's not just that i'm assuming the things that he added to stretch the narrative across these 10 episodes or to supplement it if, if i'm if what i'm assuming is correct he made good choices like i feel like the season has been well structured and i never really felt like the diversion to gloria rubin the psychotherapist or the steel mountain yeah. stuff or shayla or the or drug Vera. dealer yeah i never really felt like that was wasted time i enjoyed that as a show i enjoyed seeing the show do that so that gives me some i confidence. do hope that some of that stuff that happens doesn't become too episodic like i i think that shayla's death was kind of like it happened and it was traumatic and i think that he it's clearly i think it might be looked at as like the catalyzing event to kind of send him spiraling out because yeah. it's been since then that he sort of lost the grip that he had on the fake life that he had created. Yeah. Um, but I hope that they they are consistent about like keeping that stuff relevant because that's you know they they do some pretty brutal stuff so you want to see it matter. How about the fact that he never? I mean, for, the pilot makes you think it's going to be a procedural. Yeah. yeah. He never does that again. Yeah. He's like never again. Go go reveal yeah. pederasts. I mean, he did get shops. he did get the worst villain in New York because I that coffee seemed like it was really bad. I mean, <laughs> the guy had some bad like you know sideline hobbies, but. You can't compete with Starbucks anyway. All right. Well, looking forward to season two, we're going to bring in uh, the wizard of pitching, David Jacoby, to talk to us about what he thinks is coming on season two of Mr. Robot. Thanks a lot, Dave. Now we'd like to welcome our godfather, the the major domo, Mm -hmm. David Jacoby. You know what? I take issue with the tone of which you've been talking about this segment. You How know so? what I mean? Because I feel like you, you called me the wizard of pitching, and earlier mm-hmm. you, you like kind of hinted that I didn't take this assignment very seriously. That's not true no, at he all. said you did take it seriously. No, unlike us. I, no, I I know you well enough to know that no. that you are sort of mocking me throughout this podcast up until my appearance. You know what I mean? And I you're supposed to be a host. Take this. What kind of a host are you? You are going to give us some pitches for season two of Mr. Robot. Mm, I was I going to, but I've changed. So my what mind. are we going to do now? We're just gonna <laughs> talk about it. Give me some context. You guys, you guys can just you know you chatter about this in the office all day, but yeah. I, I haven't seen you guys together in a sealed studio box in a while mm-hmm. you're all in on this show i love this television program give yeah. me give me give me the three sentence version of why you are all in like tell me why there's, Obviously it's there's, good, I there's why been David a huge be. heist there's been a drug dealer mm-hmm. there's been a murder mm-hmm. there's a fake person and everyone's really attractive and you're super into and, tyrell and i i'm and I, tyrell is, is the most a, fascinating person on television can we do a side note on that no, second most fascinating tyrell's wife yeah. <laughs> Is the most fascinating yes. person on television. Joanna. Let me yeah. just get into some of my season two stuff because all these people sort of like play play into it. Okay. okay. All right. I love Tyrell, right? 
You and, love him. And I think we could like this is I have a lot of different paths, right? So this is necessarily my my favorite um, number one pitch. But I want season two. I want to swap out Elliot and swap in Tyrell. Like I want to completely change the vantage point. Now, does this make business sense? Probably not, because one of the best parts about the show that I didn't even mention is I think um, I'm going to butcher his name. The guy that Rami. Plays I think Rami. His performance is just like fascinating and shocking. And like like whoever hired him and cast him probably didn't think it was going to be this good. The show would not work without his. Performance. Yeah, I mean, so it's so like I don't think that actually making season two about Can I Tyrell ask a makes question sense. About your question, your first pitch here, of course. Is that a little bit like starting Nate Robinson? Like, is Tyrell good off the bench? for seven to eight minutes Hmm. an episode, but he can't emotionally carry you through a week-to-week season. I Hmm. I would argue that he can't, only because he's done some... Pretty pretty bad things. He did. He's he an did, anti-hero. <laughs> he's an anti-hero. He did murder a woman on a roof yeah, yeah. recently. That's that was only to, like one of the many things. That's only that one of them. It's hard to walk back from that one. All right, so let's let's move on to some of my other ones. Okay. Um. But wait. So what? So in your version of that first pitch, Tyrell is revealed to be the real. Elliot or Elliot like becomes me- sidelined and it becomes about Elliot Tyrell's becomes journey. Elliot becomes sidelined. It's Tyrell's journey. He's no longer a, 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 a young. Corp. Now he's trying to take down Can we a young, a cl- climbing, curious Scandinavian <laughs> yes. just trying to make his way in the fierce technological demimond of Manhattan. And I then was, he goes home and he has this delightful domestic partnership yes. with this woman. Exactly. With pickle forks. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> love. You know what I mean? I was also thinking that they could just sort of merge this show with True Detective Season 3 mm. and put in Elliot and Tyrell. And okay. that works really well. And make <laughs> it like great. a hacky thing. Let's, I don't like, That totally works. <laughs> make it a hacky thing? A hacky I feel like thing. that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> that was, no, that's, that's, a, that's an intended pun. Yeah. Tyrell and Elliot on Molly... Just spraying each yeah. other with Molly. <laughs> just dancing. Watching Fight Club. Uh, let me go a little bit serious here. All right, right, bring it down. The hack is going to happen next. It's going to happen, okay. right? E Corp goes down, All right. right? So then, then it's going. That's a. It's a hell of a cliffhanger. Like society as we know it is over. So you think a keystroke ends the season, like, and then the hack has been enacted. Something like that. Right. I think there is. I mean, look, like, I mean, I'm kind of working on this assumption that there is going to be the sort of like economic and societal chaos at the end of this season. Wow, that's it's a hell of a cliffhanger. It you is. know what I mean? It's like, well, what yeah. do they do next? And then I've got some ideas like using that. What we end up learning is that the dark army and shutting mm-hmm. down the, the, the digital server in China is actually a ploy mm-hmm. by the Chinese oh, government man. as an yeah. attack on America. Because oh. here's the one thing we know. If, if, if something is removed from the equation, someone is going to – you know, nature yeah. abhors a vacuum. Someone's yes. coming in to take that space. Yes, exactly. It so, definitely Season 2 is definitely not going to be about how everybody treats each other better now that there's no – What if dead. it was like Red yeah, Dawn it's, 3? It's not. Well, there, that, one <laughs> of my pitches amazing. was that it basically turns into The Walking Dead. You right. know what I mean? But that's not there. Just so, like, pure dystopia. Being a little serious. Like this – Season 2 cannot be mm-hmm. let's take down E Corp. Right. You know what I mean? Let's do it again. Or, or we got thwarted. Now we're going to try a different way. So like, like I think this – we need to have a new sort of like evil thing to, to – shoot arrows at. I would say, and I, I'm not just saying this because I am now officially Team Colby, I do think that one <laughs> of the most important exchanges in Episode 9 was the exchange between Colby and Angela where he's basically like... It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. You have a very antiquated idea of good and bad. Like, jobs right. are jobs. It, the economy is the economy. This is what business is. And if you want to be engaged in business, then you will accept a job and get paid for it and do your work. If you want to be engaged in whatever... I mean, he didn't say this, but if you want to yeah. be engaged in whatever sort of not just a utopian fantasy that Elliot's engaged in. That's something else. Yes. And those are the choices we're dealing with. Yes. Um, I think, I think that there's another way that this could go is mm-hmm. 
hack happens. Mm-hmm. Elliot gets caught. Mm-hmm. So he's now he's now like arrested by the government, and it turns into this kind of Ooh. like Jack Bauer CIA. Oh, like that his punishment is like to his, like to go help the government. To, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's catch like, me if you can. Yeah, like so he becomes this sort of like. So then what happens is it's like all right, he gets caught, which is a big thing. He's arrested. That's like you know we're already into like episode three at this point of season two. Yes, of season two. But then he he goes into like Langley, you know, where from uh, from uh, my, whatever that show's called. I love that show. What uh, Carrie Langley oh, Homeland Homeland? Yeah, <laughs> smoking crater. Yeah, where yeah. There's so, Langley. He's, so he's in so he's yeah. in Homeland. She's in Homeland yes. in, in, in Langley. And then it ends I love up, it. you're just like the crossover potential is amazing. It's great. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I mean, if yeah, I would really like it if the show existed in the universe with all the other shows, which ties into the conversation we had. Where what if Elliot is just so media damaged? That he really is living out movies. Not he's not just living yeah, out right. like he's not just oh. having psychotic breaks, but he actually thinks he's in something like Fight Club or the movie Hackers or sure. whatever. Well, let me go a little serious. All right, Evil Corp can't be the enemy for next season. But one of the things I've enjoyed so much about this season is the like is here is indeed with Christian Slater. You know what I mean? And yes. his father. And like you can't do that again. You can't undo that. Yeah, right. but you can't. They can't just be like, hey, more of the same. Or like, yes. now is this person imaginary or not? For, in there, this, this is what's so crazy. About or even it. if Slater comes back, I think the stakes are so much lower because you know he's not yeah. actually the, talking. The, to somebody, it, right? it, it becomes that crazy that thing when, yeah. uh, when what's his face was a dog. What's that show? <laughs> just keep talking. You're gonna talk your way out of this. The guy looks like Harry Potter turned into had a dog. Elijah. Elijah. Oh yeah, Wilfred. Yeah, it's like the Wilfred. You can't end up in that thing where it's like, oh, obviously there's an imaginary person in the room all the time. Like, that's not fun for season two. Here's the thing that, that, you know, we because we're so excited and we're enjoying it, and I definitely don't want to get into the internet habit of, like you said before, concern trolling before something is even worth having being concerned about because Mm -hmm. it's good. Let's enjoy it while it's good. Yeah. But the risk you always run by making a really big splash, making a really big shock and really big is that you have to top it. The expectation is now the DNA of the show is that we will be surprised. And that could be diminishing returns. I think you're right. So I think he has shown the confidence that he to radically change the tone and tenor of the show. So he could keep changing it. It Jacoby, could be it could be a like comedy your, episode. I like your on the run episode. pitch because I I would like to see him. I love the depiction of New York, but I'd love to see him outside of New York. I think I think something like that kind of has to happen. You can't be like I think it's either what are the there has to be a a bigger oh we found out the real. Who's controlling E Corp is the government, yeah. or you know, or, or whatever. Pope. There has to be something else for us to chase sorry, after sorry and take down. Didn't even invoke him there. <laughs> <laughs> Shut Francis. No, but I think that the, but I think that the important thing to remember though is that the show is showing us that it is just about. It's about first and foremost, it's about Elliot's psyche and his damaged mm-hmm. psyche and his family. So when you say Evil Corp can't be the bad next year, I don't know if it's the bad now. You know what I mean? Like they're they're oh. representative of a sort of, of a type of conglomerate, a type of business interest, a type of entrenched power that Elliot is raging against. But I think, again, I'll go back to that Colby scene. There's nothing more disheartening to the true blood crusader than being shown, we're not, we're just people. I think we just that made a decision on a Tuesday. I think that the thing that's going to happen next season that's like along those lines is yeah. like to, to top it, like when Tyrell, right before his <clears> wife <throat> does the pickle fork deal, she's just like, what's wrong with you? And he's just like, I saw God. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we're going to get into some matrix like Elliot is actually like some sort of messianic figure. Like I do think Whoa. that like he is going to be some kind let's, of like Christ figure. Let's Whoa. pull back one more time. So the one thing, the only evidence we have to go on in terms of the creator of Sam Esmail is the only thing he's made before the show is a movie called Comet, which is on Netflix now. And what's interesting about that movie, it's a couple things. But one of the things that the hallmark of the movie is that it's essentially a talky romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It's essentially 500 Days of Summer. It does some time jumping. It's about young, attractive 
white people in Los Angeles meeting cute and then breaking up and then meeting cute again. Mm-hmm. But it also has this conceit running through it that maybe there are alternate universes. So the scenes crash into each other and there's like a lava lamp effect. And you kind of are, for a while, you're wondering if the six different scenes you're following and timelines are all alternate versions of reality. I won't say whether that's revealed to be the case or not. But he does like suggesting bigger things and then yeah. pulling back from it, almost as if he's saying, we'll never really know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Which works in a movie. It works in one season of TV. But Season me, five, you season people are, are going to eventually be like, no, no, tell me really what's happening now because we're headed let towards me just, the Will we ever get – I think this kind of needs to happen if we get to like season three and four. Yeah. Will we ever get to like the origin story Elliot stuff? Like are we ever going to like yeah. do a lot of flashing back? Like I think there's a I lot so. to be seen there with like I – mean, even just like I wouldn't mind flashing back with Darlene and when like Angela and crazy? Tyrell and like all that stuff. Why is he – How why crazy is, he is crazy? Even, yeah. gave him the why meds? does he have state-mandated therapy? What did he do last time? When yeah. They said we have, you know it's been this bad. Where did Darlene go? Yeah. Um, and why is why does he forget her? Like I, I, we do need why to does do Darlene a little bit. call Angela your your family? Like I mean, that's well, I think like because of the way they grew up together. Yeah. That seemed like a very specific reference. Yeah. Why and was think, his mother so terrible? But I think you're right about the concern policing thing. Like even in this one conversation, which I put a lot of work in, regardless of what you say, Chris Ryan, oh, you okay. are always prepared. That uh, <laughs> that there is a lot more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Especially yeah. when you start thinking like, ah, oh, we can we can go to a new place, or there can be a new a new enemy, or, or you know the hat could work or not work, or you can get caught or not get caught, and then all of the how did we get here stuff like there's but plenty to go it's on. the best because it's like unlike say and no shots but unlike the walking dead which i think had like this kind of potential when it first started and then was like you know what's really cool though is people standing around in a house and getting attacked by zombies every week <laughs> yeah, not forever. actually moving or thinking about the there's ideas no or whatever yeah. right this is all this is all momentum it's all potential too yeah all if, potential. If, if reality is fictional then anything's possible sure and let me just to wrap up put on my my big picture tv critic hat and just say None of this stuff would matter if it wasn't just insanely fun to watch. Yeah, totally. It is pleasurable to watch this show. That really matters. Like, if it was just this guy, like, wanking off his ideas or cribbing Fight Club or or just one bravura performance, it wouldn't be that good. But this is fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to talk about. And it's been a while since we've had a show that united so many people and got them so excited. Hey, Andy, you know what? That hat fits you real well. Thanks, man. Uh, we're going to end with uh, just a note from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to this Mr. Robot special. Andy and I will be back on Monday. And don't forget to watch past the credits of the Mr. Robot finale next week. See you guys next week. New York City, the 1960s. Prostitution, illegal gambling, and after-hour clubs were a part of the scene. It was called Fun City since everyone was having a good time and no one was getting hurt. The gangsters were making money and the cops were taking a cut. Enter the Public Morals Division. They were the city's landlords. If you wanted to be in business, you had to pay the rent. But the younger generation of mobsters was coming of age, and these guys wanted more money, more power, more respect. The line that separated the good guys from the bad was about to snap. It's New York like you've never seen it, and a story that's never been told. From creator Edward Burns, don't miss the series premiere of TNT's Public Morals, Tuesday, August 25th at 10, 9 central, only on TNT. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.